Oh, now I'm on. Now you can turn it down a little bit. Who says you can't create a little bit of humor behind the pulpit, I guess? Unintentionally, but that's what it happened. So um, John chapter 8, verse 32. Can you hear me now? Yes. Anybody in the back? I'm just waiting. If I'm not getting in the head nodded, that means you can't hear me. <laughs> okay, so John chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, and we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free. And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He uses that word free two times. I want to share with you my thought on I want to give a definition of what I would consider bad freedom. But I want to put it in a context that probably sounds familiar enough, and yet is probably the moral twist that somebody would put on it. Let me read this to you. Bad freedom. To be free is to serve and to care for oneself without the restraint that caring for others puts upon caring for yourself. Remember I said bad freedom. Human slavery is that which we do to ourselves when we make ourselves of little importance and relieve the suffering of others and by so doing take away from our own happiness. This is not so much preferring one suffering over another, it is producing happiness for someone else at the loss of your own. I think in a way, if we were to talk about what, what are we contrasting our idea of happiness and our view as a Christian to what do we really think we're struggling with? Now, I don't think the world would completely put it in that way. But I think when it comes down to it, our practice puts ourselves in front of others. But then as Christians, the idea is, is that we put others in front of ourselves. But at some point, we also run into the struggle of what happens when you've diminished your own health to the point where you've cared for somebody else, but now you can't be in a position to do that anymore. So when we look at freedom, we're dealing with sometimes both of these things. And I think it's interesting because the more I spent time thinking about the perspective God wants to ha us to have on freedom, I started realizing it kind of winds down from things that I have traditionally held to be true. So let me get into some of that. So here's, here's a thought of good freedom. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 2. 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. So, somehow we get these little interruptions here. I don't know. <laughs> Are we able to get that to turn off? We'll get it eventually here. Um, 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of the mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. So here's a, my definition for good freedom. Good freedom is to bear one another's burdens. It is a mutual care that is shared proportionate to our ability to give. Freedom is not hindered or determined by our own losses for the sake of relieving others. It is actually measured by our ability to discern the virtue. So listen to this. It is measured by our ability to discern the virtue of caring for others and rather or not, the personal sacrifice that we must make to do so is imposed by fear or compelled by love. When we can learn to discern the value, the intrinsic value of caring for somebody else, when we can discern that, because that's the huge part of, if we're talking about freedom, it's not talking about you against me or what I get compared to what you get. Because in reality, if we're going to serve one another, there's most a lot of times what you find is the sacrifice is on your end and the receiving or the blessing goes on them. And, and I think the Bible says it well. More blessed are they to give than they to receive. But when you think about the, the, what is the principles behind real freedom, when we begin to capture what is freedom, what is, what is behind it, how would you begin to describe that? I would say, first of all, it is the ability to discern the intrinsic value of caring for yourself and others, just seeing it fully. Then also being able to decide whether the personal sacrifice is imposed by fear or compelled by love. It's not whether I want to make the sacrifice or what I, how I view that sacrifice, but what is compelling my making that sacrifice. And the more I thought about this, I thought about so many scenarios of my life where I'm compelled to make sacrifices for various reasons. I have different agendas or motives or desires behind that. As a matter of fact, yesterday it was unplanned, it wasn't expected, but we had gotten a phone call out of the blue, and, and the question was, could you help me with my irrigation system? And I was like, well, I suppose I can. But another thought was, I was wanting to, earlier, later on this week, I want to be more available for somebody else, and I was trying to figure out what the time arrangement was going to be for both of those things. And I wanted to. And now, reflecting back on my message, or reflecting back on this sermon, some of the things that I felt like, and I thought, well, when I step away from helping somebody else, one of the things I get out of this is a sense of pleasure of being there for somebody else. But that's not freedom. Because a lot of us, for the sake of serving ourselves, are there for other people. Selfishness is grafted in so many areas of our life that we don't pay attention to really what's at the principle or at the heart of it in ourselves. So we may not be free at all. That's what I want you to catch in what I'm sharing with you today. Real freedom is stored in something deeper than that. And so a lot of times, one of the things I remember later on, and I shared with you a story where my wife and I had taken somebody in and some of the difficulties that came with that. But I remember one of the struggles I had was 
this one verse in the Bible where it says, he that sees his brother in need and doesn't um, help him has shut up his bowels of compassion. How dwells the love of God inside of him? And so I felt like we were compelled and forced, in a sense, by the obligation of Scripture to do it. And truthfully, Scripture is an obligation, but a different kind of obligation. And what I begin to realize is there was a piece to this, there's a puzzle piece to the brokenness of humanity in the world around us that I don't know how to deal with. He's not getting any better. He's not being improved. He's not morally. He's not spiritual. In any way, becoming better. And I'm feeling like this is affecting my home and my wife and my life in drastic ways. But would those sacrifices be appropriate if he were being changed? Are they appropriate even if there is no change? If, But for the sake of the love of God and the mercies of God being revealed to a is there still value? Is there still an intense beauty and an honor even Yes, But is, am I in line with that? Is my heart molded and shaped by that as the premise or the principle by my giving those sacrifices. And I kind of can step back from it and say, I don't think so. And not in that one. I think I thought that I was there, but I realized that in the wrestling that I had was that difficulty of how do I be free when I feel abused? When I feel used? When I feel like somebody has no interest toward me or to the God that I serve, and yet I'm still doing this for their well-being. But in the background, I'm still trying to get something. I want them to come to Christ. And I think that's a good and healthy desire. But at the same time, would you stop loving them if you knew for sure? Would you stop caring for them if you knew for sure that they would be lost for eternity? I think those should be the people that we'd be willing to love the most. So you're absolutely free to share an amen with me anytime you want. If you get excited, you want to shout it, that's all right too. Though we often represent love as a sacrifice that one makes to help someone else, yet when those sacrifices are motivated by something less than intrinsic virtues, we are in essence violating the true law of love, which is freedom. I want to give you a scripture, John three sixteen. Okay? I want you to catch what Jesus, what God did. And I want you to see what was motivating it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're all very familiar with that verse, aren't we? But what you notice is that God so loved the world. The intrinsic value of loving a world that didn't love him back. Loving a people who sinned against him. Loving us while we were yet enemies. And out of that intrinsic value of that, son. Now you may or may not receive that. You may or may not be enjoying the satisfaction and the salvation that comes as a result of what God has done for you. But nevertheless, He did it anyway because of the value behind the love. And that is becoming more and more the reality of freedom must be observed behind this. Or it's not real freedom. The sacrifices, what we give, must be observed behind this reality, or it's not real. 
I want to give you one more scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5. And go ahead and write that down. You're like, well, some of us don't have a note. Well, you can. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Remember, this is how God describes it. Just as others, the God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. He, his rich mercy came out of his great love. See, we use that word around so many ways, and I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that we use these words, I love pizza, I love this, and, and things that can't love you back. And we minimize the value and the authority and the sacredness of some of the words that we have strong belief in because we use them for everything. But when we really think about it, this love is at the height of everything that we find valuable in life. The human mind can't go beyond it. You can't stretch and say there's something of greater value or of deeper importance than the love that we see invested here. And so out of that, God was willing to make those sacrifices for us. I think that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But that's where freedom lies. Because this I would say, when you're abused, when you're persecuted, when you suffer, it should be the intrinsic value of love that makes you appreciate the sacrifices you made behind the gift that you gave. Even if it cost you your life, that it was worth it in the end. You see the eternal know what real freedom comes from. Adversely, we know that the lack of freedom is the result of not having that intrinsic value behind what you're doing. And so you feel like I'm doing this because I'm trying to gain an acceptance from you. I'm trying to get something. I want something. I need something. And because of that, we're always constantly trying to feed to get. And we're losing the battle on what real freedom is all about. So here's a few of these areas. We're compelled. So when it's not this kind of freedom, we're compelled by desire for acceptance. You know, all of us struggle with it to some degree. As, as hard as it is, we don't want to believe that. But, man, when you say things or do things and you feel like you're not being accepted on some level, regardless of what kind of walls or barriers you have against the lack of acceptance from other people, at some level it wears down on you and weighs on you. And what we're trying to show is the beauty of what Jesus has done through the gospel and what he's revealed through the nature of who he is, is yours to experience and know to such a degree that God was intended so that the gospel would be the thing that helps you move through those times when the pressure is so much that even human, at your best, at your human strength, you'll never be able to have the fortitude. 
Also, one of the other things that we're motivated by is selfish gain. What can I get from this for me? And you know, here we think about love. If we're compelled to love one another and you, like we talked about sharing projects, you know, men sharing projects with guys who are like, here you are helping me with something as a project on my house. I'm helping you with something in your yard, whatever it might be. But the idea is that we're sharing and we're giving toward one another. But you and I both know that there is no giving completely equally. Either you gave more time, you gave more work, you gave more whatever, all of that. But we didn't do I didn't get a welcome, I didn't get a thanks, I didn't get an appreciation, and so I quit serving because it wasn't under freedom. So do you understand what I mean by freedom as I share that with you? Does that make sense? I'm looking for some heads to nod here a little bit. Good. I'm so sure. we got a little meat here. Not just the right to choose. So we're not talking about just the right to choose. And that's how everybody else would define it. It's my right to choose. That's freedom. But the, what is the guiding and ruling principle behind my choosing? What's really the guide of it? Freedom is, is not an absence of involuntary pressures. What I mean by involuntary things you can't control and didn't want to happen, right? Even voluntary can be difficult too. But it's exercising our liberty along with the warfare of opposing influences. So that's the other piece to this. One of the things that makes it powerful and makes you know that you're truly free is that you can have opposition and it doesn't change your heart. You're still moved to be the same. So here's a scripture for you in James. I've got to look on the other note here. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Please turn there. I want you to turn there and I want you to look at this. James chapter 1. I might have a few ulterior motives for choosing James. I'm not sure here. (laughs) James chapter 1, 2 through 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. I think, if if, if I'm right here, if I think that the maturity or the way that God matures us is by leading us into making choices that are hard with freedom attached. So that opposition should show where I'm at. How do I behave when I'm opposed? How do I deal with this opposition? Am I still well-behaved? Is there gentleness still in my spirit? Am I locked into the love of the gospel or am I losing grounds in that? 
Because what we're seeing is the gospel produces the freedom or the intrinsic reality of, why am I doing this? And when I capture that, then when you put opposition to it, it only manifests what's really at heart, only what's really there. So here's a few thoughts for you. Most of our struggles do not really involve difficult people, but different people. Different. Most of our differences revolve around preferences and not priorities. And the fight for freedom should not be based on preferences, but priorities. See, a lot of us, we're just in the typical normal battles of life, and we're still failing in those areas. You know, we're still struggling to be able to be Christian and faithful in that. And so what we did is we appealed to the mental or the, the, the logical or the theological side of the gospel without the spiritual and actual reality of the gospel in life. So we have this kind of perversion that happens. We're really intellectual when it comes to the head knowledge, but when it comes to life application and the grace that it actually takes to live it out, we're struggling desperately to do that. And I think that's because we're not free. The reason for the lack of freedom is me. I want this for me. Me, me, me. And what we don't realize is what you really want for you is to be free of making you the center of everything that's important. And so even in Christian doctrine, we're like the doctrine doesn't support self, but that doesn't mean that I'm walking in the doctrine. So here's some thoughts. I realize that when we talk about freedom, one of the struggles we're going to deal with is argument. We have arguments or thoughts, that ha- things that happen. So the reason we have argument is simply this. How badly do I want something from you? And am I violating your freedom to get it? See, this is the thing. I have to think about this. This is a standpoint of ministry. But I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, well, we're going to have a ministry. And one of our ministries is we're going to have an outreach. Now, in one sense, I want to believe that every single person that's a Christian in this building is, has a desire for outreach and to touch somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And I might also say we're going to have a ministry toward discipleship and all of that. But I don't know of freedom and your knowledge and your experience in this intrinsic area of God. And so what I may be actually telling you to do is something you're not ready for. Now I want to see Christians involved in all that God has called for us to be. But the sad reality is that many of us are not there. We're just not. And we can't pretend it. And I can't be the guy that says, you know what, do it anyway. If you just do this, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because there's some of it that is an outward. You do need to do it for an application. But then there's a lot of it that's an inward thing that you're having to deal with. The Holy Spirit is dealing with the motives that drive your commitments. So here's some areas where I think of when we come to argument that I have to be careful for. On my statements, when I'm talking to you in presentations given in such a way as to make you feel bad. See, when it comes down to it, a lot of times, if I make you feel bad, you'll do what I tell you to do. Or you'll, you'll be like, now I lost the argument, right? Am I making stark comparisons that put me in good light and you in bad? Am I making assumptions about your intentions? Am I using argumentative manipulation to take away your ability to properly defend yourself? Do I use flattery 
This is something I thought about. It's like, do I use flattery to employ your ego instead of your heart? Do I use forceful argumentation to verbally size you down to get what I want? See, all of these things are entered into our relationships when we lack freedom. They come out. We end up doing all of these. Like when I read this, I was like, I've done. I've, I've played the parts, the roles, every one of them. I've been center stage and sometimes the most popular guy when it comes to some of these things. I could go through some of my stories and tell you of when I was, you know, I felt like I was losing the argument, so I had to use some force to try and manipulate getting what I wanted. And am, am I talking to everybody else who knows what I'm talking about? Not here. Not there. <laughs> yes. I'm here. <laughs> 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 You're like, read that list one more time. <laughs> no, once was <laughs> <laughs> like, that'll stay on your notes, right? <laughs> So when we, when we talk about this, we realize these are the battles that we face. But sometimes we don't realize what is the root cause of why this keeps popping up over and over and over again. Yes. Why can't I get... And God seems to... You feel like the Lord's dealing with things, but ultimately it's like, well, it's just like there's the fruit. This situation came up. And I think part of the problem is, is we're concentrated on the results. Well, I yelled at somebody. I used that kind of lingo when I shouldn't have. Lord, please purge me from the things that I say, the things that I do. And it's all about this thing that it's like cutting off the branch and watching it regrow again. Because what we realize is we're really never down at the root of the problem. And so when we deal with the root of the problem, then real repentance springs forth. And we're dealing with things because our mind and heart has changed. I see this completely different. The reason I employ these strategies is because there's a selfishness in me it's not free. I'm not free and I'm not gauged on freedom. I don't give selflessly. I give selfishly. Now, one of the ways we do that is, is we make it look selfless so that we don't really have to argue that point with ourselves. But it's still an inward struggle anyway. So how do we honor freedom? How are we going to honor freedom? Well, here's one of them. I think this is the most important. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always... I'll give you a minute here. Sorry. I'm all excited. I love sharing this. Looking forward to this verse. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now therefore much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, say that with me, for it is God, who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You, I, I want to be really careful because this is the place where 
I think this room is locked in on the theology. You're like, yeah, I get it, right? I'm not asking you, I'm not even trying to compel you on the basis of the theory or the theology. I want you to look at this scripture and see if this is you. The freedom doesn't come because I'm studious or devout in many ways. It comes because I have an influence of God in my life. See, it doesn't take long between when we start winding it down and we say, how has your life been with God? Have you had times when the altering presence of God, when the voice of God, when the Holy Spirit and His authority is active in your life, It's not television, it's not Facebook, it's not Google, it's not me and my friend, it's not me and that, remember as I told you before, it's not that relationship that I'm trying to get my head out the window and get a hold of, it's that I'm missing the deeper relationship. See, all of us are going to have a certain time in life, and I remember one guy said to me, I think it was one of the best things he ever told me when I was young, and he said, you have 24 hours in a day, it's just what you choose to do with those 24 hours. See, some of you observe and are committed to seek the Lord more. Some of you are not great in the area of freedom when it comes to seeking the Lord. Because some of us feel like what we're trying to do is get out from under the entanglement of guilt in order to be free. And what you're missing is the value of seeking God for itself, whether you feel guilty in it or not. See, sometimes we have to seek the, seek the Lord while... And sometimes you don't want any man or woman to talk to you like that. Man, it, it's, there's times when it's the beauty of it and sometimes it's the rebuke of it. But the reality is God is feeding you with the truth that's going to minister to your soul and lead you closer to Him. So when I talk about this, the need for the influence of God in our life, I can't, un, I, I can't diminish that in any way. I have to make that as plain as possible. And, you know, as Christians, we should be the first ones up to the plate. You know, it's like this is not the difference. I'm waiting for the first batter. I, I can be the batter the moment I want to. You know, it says in the scripture, the Lord does not slumber nor sleep. And we look up into the hills from whence comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. See, the problem is, is that if we go back to what the 4th of July and 
the Declaration of Independence and all of those pieces to what happened to our country. And we begin to patriot, get patriotic about these kinds of freedoms and at the same time watch our, our, the people of the country begin to fold into sin. In some ways we're saying, I value a lack of freedom more than I do freedom under these conditions. Under these conditions, I must pray that, Lord, if necessary, take the freedom out from under us so that we will be free. So the goal of our communication, so here's another one. Oh, sorry, I'm going to go back to you. How to honor freedom. Here's another one. You want to honor freedom by the goal of your communication should be to help people make heartfelt decisions. Don't just do it. Make a heartfelt decision. There's more behind a heartfelt decision than anything else. Another one is you need to be able to embrace the no until you, they know that they that their yes is heartfelt. Let me say that one more time. You need to be able to embrace their no until they know that their yes is heartfelt. Now, heartfelt, you can put that in a different word if you want, but the idea is that it's a genuine, I'm doing this for the right reason, right? You know, oftentimes I have to say no because I'm like, right now in the moment, I'm not there, and I know I'm not there. But the problem is in our relationships, relationships are hard because they don't want you to not be there. Well, I want you there right now, you know, at those times. And then there's vice versa, and we feel that way. But at some point, if we're going to honor freedom, we're going to do this for one another. The scripture here is Matthew 21, verses 28 through 30. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. You see, in this, the one said, I won't. But the freedom or the drive to do what was right came later. Right? In, in, in our world, we know that that's, that's how it should be. And I have a hard time at home as a parent because I'm like, guys, you just got to do it. And so there's, there's this struggle that I can't quite describe, but I know what's the, the heart of it. And I was like, you know, my sons are going to be, our children sometimes struggle because they feel like there's not a freedom to choose. And other times there's a freedom to choose and there's an unwillingness to choose what's right. We deal with all of these pieces and rarely do we seem to come and mount up to where I chose it and I did it because I had the intrinsic value of what God loves and what God placed in me in my birth. You understand that piece of like rarely do we seem to see that. When you confront the depths of your own selfishness, this is how we honor freedom, you automatically provide an atmosphere for true freedom for them. See, when I'm not dealing with you in selfishness or I'm doing less of that, then I'm creating an atmosphere for you to be free. And that's the power, one of the most powerful things we can do is create an atmosphere for others. Because they're like, well, if you're not forcing me or requiring me to do this because you're being selfish, then I actually have a choice in the matter. And now I want to spend just a little bit of time on this one thought. We spend too much time teaching on positive motivation compared to negative motivation. Yet both can serve the wrong end. 
That's where this, re this really caught me. As I got toward the end of this, I was like, I want to go back and relook at it because I was like, this is what, we, we, what they're doing to pastors right now. The guys like me is they're trying to teach you how to lead people well. And one of the ways that we do that is, the, 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 the force is you can either try it through negative motivation or positive motivation. Encourage the people and they'll be more willing. And what we do is we focus on encouraging to get results, encouraging to move people forward, all of these other things. And the problem with that is, I think the biggest problem with trying to get me to be that kind of guy is that I'm counterfeiting Oftentimes, I'm counterfeiting real obedience by you not having invested in your spirit and in your heart what it takes to, to honor and serve God. Jesus had to sing with his disciples, and it was just like, you know, you look at what Jesus did, and you're like, if, if we follow Jesus' model for ministry in many ways, after I'm done today, and Jesus had a way of helping people to see not only is the commitment something that's excruciating in your physical human mind to give yourself to, but the other piece is, is that you've got to be locked in to the principles of love. And if you don't get these two pieces, you can't follow me. That's what Jesus, in essence, was saying. You can't follow me. It's too deep, it's too hard, it's too difficult, and it's not human in the sense of it's going to take God in you to finish the work. To do it. And so here we have, if the goal to build a team, you know, here's a, here's a book title that I remember, it's probably good and all of that, but the idea is they that grow together, grow together. So we find ways to do that, and we implement these, these we say these things that people are like, I believe that, I like that, I, I kind of mesh with that, I like what you're doing, and we get them involved because it feels good. Or it feels like it's selfless. And they like the feeling of being selfless. And the intrinsic principles are no one. God sees the heart, right? God sees the heart. We're all afraid we'll never get there, but with the influence of God's Spirit in our life, we certainly can and certainly should expect to. So if the goal to build a team and the purpose may be noble and the work that goes into it honorable, but those involved may become slaves to doing good. If the goal is freedom, so if the goal is to build a team, but if the goal is freedom, then we are uniquely stripping our ideals of unity of the influences that manipulate behavior, and instead we're working to develop sincerity and genuineness. See, this is what I feel like, this is the, the pressure that I feel like I'm under constantly, is this pressure to manipulate a kind of behavior. Just if I could get you this, would you read your Bible more? Would you pray more? You manipulate a behavior. And what I'm not doing is, is making and conducting a genuineness there. When it's genuine and it's real, it's powerful. And the Spirit of God gets in it. And the Holy Spirit is working in it. And it's not fake. 
and it's real for you, and it produces the fruit of righteousness in us. Outside of that, I think that's the reason we struggle to grow. I know it has been mine. I'm like, I feel like I'm doing everything outwardly right, and I still feel so wrong. I feel so wrong. I still feel barren. I still feel like there's not life inside of me. And I'm sharing that with you because on this Independence Day coming, so to speak, thinking about the fireworks going off and the war that was fought, and I want you to see your inner war. If I can, by any ways, just to have a way of um, inspiring you to say, I see that. That's been my life. That's been me. And I didn't realize that was my battle, but I catch it now. And I realize what you're talking about is so real. And so ultimately, when it comes down to it, I'm saying you need to take time with God until you get to the place where your time and his time have meshed to you've become free. Freedom has been, and the Holy Spirit is working. He's doing that in us. I think all of us have had those seasons where we can say, I've been free and free indeed. And I've had other seasons where I have not been free, and I have not been free indeed. And, um, you know, one of the things I thought about this recently was this. One of the struggles that we have in the Christian faith is that we've got a layer of what the Bible says. So in one sense, it's this. I'm having emotional, mental difficulties. I'm in my flesh, and I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. But my Bible says, and what I, what I say is this, is that there's, what we've often done is we've hidden behind Scripture rather than let the Scripture reveal us. Let the Holy Spirit reveal you. And when he reveals you and you're stricken by what the Lord reveals to you, stay a little bit longer because God wants to finish the work. You know, when I call for an altar call, and I'm about to do that here in a minute, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm not doing it, obviously. I'm not giving God, but God wants to take time with you. Yeah. See, when it's fresh in your ears and fresh in your mind and near to your spirit in the moment, that's the time when you let the Lord deal with you. You may be here in tears. You may be wildly brokenhearted because of the things that God is showing you about you. And his purpose is so much bigger than all of that. And, you, and don't let that become the distraction of your mind because the reality of it is that's the healing work of God being done. That's when the spirit, your spirit, is becoming more involved with the intrinsic realities of what Jesus died to complete in your life. So when I call for altar calls, I'm, I'm saying if God is ministering to you in a way and you're sensing that, Come. But I'm saying to another people, if you're not, I'm not forcing. <laughs> right? I'm not compelling or pushing in any way because I realize you need to take the time appropriate with God. I've had those moments when the Lord wouldn't, wouldn't minister to me at the altar, but he would at my bedside. I don't know when that time or that special moment is for you, but some of you, I think it's now. Some of you, I believe that the Lord wants to do that in this moment. Your spirit is pressed. You're feeling the touch of the Lord on it, and you want to. So it, you can kneel in, at the altar, and you can um, tarry here. We want to leave opportunity for you to stay and let the Lord minister to you. I know from those tender moments of the Lord that you can't take one second off of it and make it better at doing something else. I love those moments with God. I'm grateful that he has done that in my life. And I know that, um, you know, I guess I could say this, the, the, the reality is that you'll never get to the place where God doesn't do that, <laughs> right? You'll never get to the place where you don't need it. 
there will always be a point of growth and transformation with what God wants to do. So I'm going to ask my wife and Julia to come up. I'm going to pray for you here, but what I want to tell you is this. I just want to set you up for the time. What I do, is, I don't want to have a closing. This will be kind of my closing in a sense. The reason I do is because I want those who come, I want them to stay as long as they can without this interruption or the stop to it. And at the same time, if you're not feeling like that, just you can fellowship or whatever, just be um, mindful of those who are here. That's all I would ask. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is ministering to them in a special way, and they need that ministry. They really need that ministry. And if you feel a touch of the Lord to pray for them, do so, but otherwise leave them alone and let God do the work. Did you hear what I said? Leave them alone and let God do the work. He does it very well. Okay? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to uh, go back down there and start this up for him. <laughs> Amen. Father, I want to praise you and thank you because you are a merciful Father. Lord, you're merciful in, in every way, God, because you have cleared the path and the sin of our life. It's so amazing, Jesus, that you keep that trail for us open so we can keep walking closer to you. The Lord, you're always ahead of us. Lord, we never have an ability to get ahead of you in this. And I'm just grateful, Lord, for every heart here. Jesus, would you begin to introduce again for some of us, introduce for a first time for others of us, what it means to be free and free indeed. Lord, would you just compel us by the inner de desire to be just uh, to know you, Lord, on the basis of what's intrinsically beautiful and true and no other reason but that alone. And just make that remarkable and beautiful in every life and heart here. Jesus, we need you right now. Lord, we need you. Lord, even in our strongest moments, Lord, when we feel like it's because you've been holding us up and maybe we don't even know that, God, you're doing it in the moment, but you're here in that moment. And we need you now. None of us are strong enough on our own, Lord. And I want to thank you for every bit of grace, every ounce of it that is poured into us right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. quote right, but I had heard um, discontent cannot abound and stay where there is gratefulness. And I think oftentimes when we see a lack or a need, even if it's something of good that, that you know we want God to do in us, um, thanks and praise and just gratefulness can help to usher that in.